Anyway, so what do you sound like then? What do I sound like? I sound like this. Um, That's not too bad. Um, all right. Okay. See, I'm gonna. Now we're facing away. Blah blah blah. Okay, again. Okay, I sound like this. Oh, yes. Now we sound about the same level. Okay, fine. Um, okay, rather than me sound like I'm in a different room. Yes, which sort of is is always a risk. Although you're on a higher chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, sort of. I don't think I can hear the difference in that. Anyway, um, we'll have listeners who can hear the difference. Yeah. They'll know all about sound yeah. and acoustics in a room, and they'll also spot that we changed the room. Yeah. Okay. So, do when do we officially start? About two minutes ago. Oh crap! <laughs> um, anyway, so um, do we yeah, want to our introduce explicit, ourselves? Is there an explicit rating going again? Yeah. Um, well. We should, although you know who we are by now. So I'm Tom Abbott, and you are. Oh, Baldur Bjarnason. And you can look us up on the web. And we're going to talk at you for about an hour um, about publishing and about digital and about books. And this is the fifth in this series, which means by the time you listen to this, I was about to say read this, but this is this, Frankfurt Book Fair will be over. Um, Thank God. The, yeah, absolutely. And those photos don't exist, honestly. <laughs> um, they have been deleted. Um, Fahrenheit Press's book that nobody knows the title of except Chris will have been announced and people will be talking about it and mm. nobody will be embarrassed anymore at their title was selling less than a book with no cover and no author <laughs> <laughs> which is a lovely bit of marketing um, so we as has been mentioned before we did have a plan for these we had a kind of vague notion of the order in which we were going to talk and the one we've been putting off for a little while is the avant-garde partly mm. because we want to sort of set the scene and give you some chance to turn off and go away and decide you're never going to listen to us again but we think it's about time we talked mm. about the avant-garde well it's especially because it's prompted by a for me the i uh, i was prompted to start thinking more about the sort of the position of being uh, being interested in what what's considered avant-garde mm-hmm. By Craig Mod's article the other day, where he was writing about how he has essentially migrated away from the Kindle as a form. Yeah. Um, and what I found interesting is that almost everybody I know in publishing, they looked at that and read it as if he was commenting on market forces, on sales, on on uh, unit numbers, and on 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 the pricing and all that. But you know, if you read read through such, there's no mention of that whatsoever. No. Uh, because he, if you look at what Craig Mod's been writing about consistently over the years, he's been talking about design, he's been talking about interaction, he's been mm. talking about the form. Yeah. Uh, and he's been talking about what, what the structures that are in network media that inform and, and affect the form. And he is basically uh, has come to the same point as I have, where we're realising where instead of being in the mainstream, Mm. Or instead of the mainstream heading heading towards what we're interested in, like we thought it was going to do, it's actually just stopped in its tracks, and we've been cast out into the avant-garde. Okay, so basically what's been happening from that point of view is that you and Craig <clears throat> have been on a small train, um, running mm. on a parallel set of tracks to this giant, huge thing steaming through the Canadian countryside, and I've yep. seen them, they're massive, and at some point their big train has just stopped yeah. and your train has gone scooting on ahead through no fault of your own. Yeah, and it's sort of like... I mean, it, for example, I mean, where it was... it was. Before you go on, is, is there a buffet car on your train? Uh, no, it's, it's bring your own sandwiches, oh, okay, right, obviously. I mean, it's sort of fair, you know, being a small train. Right, OK, yeah. <laughs> um, now, the... Um, um, it's the... Uh, when when the Kindle first came out, and if if you look at look through the enthusiasm that Craig Mode had for it and, well, yeah. and I, I had mm. for it, it was... It looked reasonable at the time mm. to assume that the, the the Kindle would be iterated on and it would quickly reach the 
a, a formal parity with the web. Yeah. So that you'd have the full flexibility and creative expression of the web, but with a business model that lent itself to creativity. Yeah, so in a sense, the Kindle, the the first Kindle, I remember seeing the first Kindle, and the the killer thing for me, and as a as a book designer, was that it, it just destroys my entire livelihood. It destroys my entire living. <laughs> as a typographer, I just want to hate it. But I, I get it. I completely mm-hmm. got that that idea that you can... Um, aside from the fact that obviously it's it's a market driven thing because you can suddenly shift your product onto a different platform and a platform that's stable and as you say business model and whatever else is that you can make the thing you can adjust things within the reading experience you can adjust yeah. the type size you can adjust what's happening which suddenly becomes this thing that obviously that's for me and the thing that we continue to bang on about um, and we talked about last time in terms of what, do, what can digital do that print can't do that's something print can't do print would find hard to do not impossible to do um, in terms of print on demand and ordering um, larger text copies, and that's been around for a long time. But, but, e- but even that is print basically leveraging digital capabilities because you can't do that without digital being involved some, uh, somewhere. That's, uh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yes. Yeah. Once you move away from an analog typesetting model, you move into a digital typesetting model. Yes, you can do that completely. But that was a thing that Kindle could do at the very start, and it made it interesting. And you're right, there was a whole set of other things that we. So we, I think what we assumed, and I'm probably in the same train as you um this train is one seat bigger um there's no guard um there is a pull cord um is that what would happen with the kindle is that it would emerge into something that used a kind of ecosystem that amazon provided an ecosystem that, that became more stable but as you say would, would reflect the way in which the web worked yeah it's sort of in that um if you look at the web there is there is a, a, a much greater capacity for formal experimentation yeah. in, in storytelling and form than the business model lends itself to yeah. um, because mm. it's funded almost it's funded entirely by ads or marketing mm. or you know or just through volunteer work yeah. um, but the idea that you would have a platform like the Kindle where you could actually have a per title pricing and that people you would get people to pay for um, you know just pay for creative expression that had the use the full cable to the web mm. and it just turns out that for a variety of reasons, most of them are related to structural and corporate incentives and how the money flows in the market and all that. Sure. Mm. Um, it has nothing to do with the form, actually. So that's you know basically mm. off our remit. But for a variety of reasons, you know, nobody actually wanted that to happen <laughs> except yeah. for the creative people. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Everybody else who was involved, whether it was publishers or Amazon or anybody else, mm. they they didn't want that to happen. They wanted li- these neat little boxes of the, of stuff. They wanted to leverage what they knew into this thing that didn't exist ten years before. Mm. Yeah, and it's sort of not even that. They just wanted things. They wanted. Well, uh, if you look at. Uh, all of the uh, the way all of the design decisions around um, ebook reading apps and ebook reading environments, they all want ebooks to be be much more uniform formally than print. They want this to be a neater neater container block, uh, 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 sort of a container than print is, yeah. because mm-hmm. that is just a lot easier to sell if mm-hmm. they actually were allowed to sell it and you know weren't forced to. Jack their prices up, sky high, like and all that, mm, which, yeah. like I said, mm. is a different topic entirely. It's a completely different topic. But it? it's it's. I re- I read the uh, Craig mods because I've I've gone through the same exploration he has because he he talked about his fascination with Brett Victor's work. Yeah. Um, and 
<laughs> I've gone through exactly that same thing. Where following through his work with with how how you would teach um, uh, interactivity in programming and how you'd mix that with with text and it. Mm. And uh, now uh, the fact is, here's the fun part that nobody nobody ever talks about in publishing, which I find, find just. I, I'm, I'm literally speechless. I was going to hear. Is the fact that um, a major platform has shipped um, a, compl- a near complete implementation of Brett Victor's ideas on mm. interactive ebooks yeah. um, for free on a on a major platform that anybody can download and experiment with. Yeah, mm. and that's Xcode Playground, right? Mm. Which, which is an ebook format. It has chapters, it has links, it has structure, it's got formatting, but it also has massively, massively interactive um, uh, sort of uh, coding and intera- uh, coding example and, co- uh, co- and coding lists. Any, anybody can author in it. Okay, and mm. it comes for free with Xcode, and it's you know it's a huge part of teaching Swift because it's, yeah. it's, it's it was basically designed to teach the Swift programming language, but it is. And this is kind of scary to say. It is the most capable interactive media ebook format to be released in recent years, and nobody's mentioned it in publishing. <laughs> right. In terms of interactive media, not in terms yeah. of like video or anything like that, but in terms of because you it literally you can write Swift code uh, that is even more interactive than it is in a normal Swift application because it's designed to be educational. It's it's designed to let you grab things. And move them about and shift variables and see how things are interconnected. Okay. Um, and it's like uh, it's got released and got everything. Oh, surely some yeah. pundit will talk about this now, any day now. Any day now. Just they're, <laughs> yeah. they're just re- you know rewriting re- the rap. They're just about to talk about this. Yeah, the way for the interviews to come in. They're just figuring this bit out. And not, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, <clears throat> but the, t- you know, this week, this week now, now they're going to have written that now. Now yeah. it's almost as if the punditry that talks about digital, digital publishing. Is just there to sell conference tickets, and it's almost as if they don't have a you know single solitary clue about what they're what they're talking about. That's a dreadful indictment of people we know and love. Both. Well, it's, I said almost. Well, you know? Almost. Okay. Almost. I said it's almost yeah. as if that. I'm almost. sure. I'm would... sure there is some other reasonable explanation for the fact that for the fact that they. Mm. It just looks like they have zero interest in actually following what's going on in the field and are just regurgitating the press releases of people who have no clue what they're doing. It just looks that way. I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure a, it's not a, that way. An at absolute all, no. brilliant Definitely. reason, solid no. and cohesive reason for yeah. why it looks that way, and it actually isn't that way. It, it, we're just not looking hard enough, and we're not reading the things that are between the margins. There may be a whole different. The, 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 it's the, probably the, 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 all the, in the comment section. There may be a whole dark net that we don't know about yeah. with publishers, which. You know, yeah, that, that may exist mm. that we don't know about that we're not invited to. That, that you're all talking about this and you're all oh. kind of way ahead of the game, yeah. and we're sitting here. I'm actually part uh, of a couple of those dark nights and not a single word there either. Oh, right, okay, right, fine. So, okay, so, anyway. so it just may look like that. Yeah, yeah. but from, from, uh, from it's, our vantage it's, point on a train, sat on a mountain mm. with the other so train. It's, yeah, so yeah. Uh, now, uh, so I always expected to be, you know, I expected you to be the one doing the experimental things, pushing the boundaries, and then come back from the wilderness. Into I like the to think I'm doing that. Yeah. You, but it turns out that I just suddenly found myself wandering in the wilderness, and it's like you're only ten meters off instead of being, you know, wandering right, okay. off mm. on, on a different continent. A continent. Like, mm. I didn't plan for this. I'm not packed for the bloody jungle. You're not. And you do the one thing I should tell you about the wilderness. Yeah. I gave the bears lanterns, <laughs> so the light you see is not me. The, <laughs> the bears have been trained. They have yeah. lanterns and they have sharp sticks. Um, anyway, okay, so this is this is. By way of you describing, and actually, the, the other thing to say about Craig Martin, just while we're on the subject, um, 
and I've never met Craig Mod, and but I'd, like you, I've liked his writing, and I've kind of admired his writing for a long time. And I think possibly Craig Mod is the most read person in publishing who is never read properly. Yeah, I think people take there's an awful lot of conversation around Craig's work and Craig's writing and Craig's interest and kind of attention paid to what he does and what he says, but. I'm never quite sure whether anybody actually understands him. <laughs> and I'm not, I don't think it's because he's willfully clever or willfully obscure. I think more it's because he's trying to deal with this whole thing. And he's, as you say, he's coming at it from the point of view of almost a designer first. A designer interested in the form of the thing, a designer interested in how this works. And, and that kind of frustration that you and I have felt mm. when we, we talked about Ted Nelson before we talked about, I mean, we talked about Doug Engelbart when Doug was alive, that the the people who are in on the ground level when um when the web was invented are one of the things that defines them is their kind of perennial sense of disappointment and bitterness that this is <laughs> that this is not yeah. what it was supposed to get this is not what it was supposed to be that things stalled and things kind of um you know the the example i used to give to students is it was to show them um Doug's demo from 1968 and say that these are the things these are working better than the things that you have now well, especially after iOS 9 got released well, absolutely. so bloody buggy yeah but even i mean even 6 7 years ago you know the mouse on your desk is fundamentally the same mouse as Doug mm. used um, but Doug's worked better um well, that's because it was it, it had a tighter, more more focused context within yeah. its, within its <clears> work. <throat> Absolutely. So that, if you because you yeah. ha, you can't look at each part in isolation, you have to look at it as a holistic thing. A, yeah. How how much work do you get done? How you know yeah. what what uh, you know? You can't just pick and look at a single thing and not understand what effect it has as a part of a larger thing. It, it's an ecosystem. Yeah. Mm. One 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 thing has a, an effect, a chain on the other things, and this is the thing I felt about Craig's writing and your writing and I think I'd like to think I'm in that kind of same boat is that we, we, yes we were not necessarily around at the very start of this because this goes back before mm. we were born to a certain extent but we have been talking about this we've been writing about it we've been interested in it certainly since since pre-Kindle since um, early text adventures since early kind of iterations of what the web became and what we now understand it as and I think we one of the things that defines us and the way I look at Craig's writing is, is people who are who are slightly disappointed and are just standing there going just look, just <laughs> look at this, look at, unpick this. Craig's um, writing, post-artifact publishing, writing the age of the iPad was the first essay that I think got him some attention. And then post-artifact publishing, which completely takes apart the idea of how do you engage with a readership, yeah. but not how you engage with a readership in conventional marketing and what you should be doing and whether the publisher should have a website, and whether, which is just the kind of the, the dullest bit of the conversation because yes, they should, and yes, they should be better, but just figure it out on a richer level. But actually looks at the whole... The structure of how you go from an idea in an author's head, or even before how you plant the idea in an author's head, or how you get the author into that position, or how you can, how you manipulate change, how you address the market, how you just read, and it does this thing in what I thought was a really easily understandable model. It was the it was the clearest expression of that idea that I have seen, pretty much for the past 25 years, and that's sort of, and I've been reading reading all the stuff that's been uh, been written, you know. Since the days of Douglas Engelbert, it's sort of yeah. you know it's part of, part of what you do in the PhD. You read through all of this. You sort read of through thing. all this stuff, and, and you... his was the most clearest, most cohesive, yeah. well illustrated, decent diagrams. Yeah, everything spelled out, and I thought no leeway for misunderstanding. No, completely no, <laughs> absolutely no leeway for misunderstanding. And it was it was elegant and simple, and then had in what he was writing about, it had depth. And so it did all those things that it did the thing that and this is the kind of thing. This slight dig I want to make because this podcast is full of digs at people. Um, 
is it did the thing that there is there's a level to which the infographic works because mm -hmm. it summarizes everything and it kind of encapsulates the whole thing. And when you read everything in relation to the infographic, the two things then do a job together. The two yeah. things kind of unpick and, and it makes you think. And one of the first things I did with that second model he showed, the kind of the, the if everyone's not read this, for goodness sake, just go read the essay. It's brilliant. But he he, he does a publishing. The, the post-artifact publishing, where the, the, the idea of the physical book, the kind of modernist notion that this is a fixed thing is no longer the case, and we can alter it, we can change it, we can iterate it, we can do things with it. And the model is how do you deal with that as a publisher, how do you deal with that as a writer, how do you respond to that as a reader? Um, and then, just as a momentary aside, the bookseller published its... There was a, <laughs> yeah, I know. This on, is, sorry, this on. is the 14th of October. There was a piece in the bookseller that went online that was about the books. It was focusing on that thing that happens every year because this is what publishing punditry does. It talked about the books that were all being published on the same day because this now happens in October and it's a thing and BBC Breakfast, I'm sure, report on it. And the Daily Mail probably have a column that to, to mentions it. And there was a little infographic which was about the most damnable piece of sub-GCSE graphic design I've ever seen in my life because it just it did nothing it was that moment yeah. where look there are people here who can do this people here if you look at what's being done and you want to be you're interested in communicating ideas or communicating something to an industry that desperately needs ideas communicating and desperately needs ideas kind of making sense because you're not telling them what's gospel you're saying you're shining a light on something and that's your job if you're a pundit it's your job if you're a critic mm. that you're not necessarily right and this is something that I've held for a long time that you should read critics because you should learn to disagree with them. Yeah. You should learn to take a pinch of salt, but also take what's good about them because they they spend their time thinking about this. And I think one of my that you may share, in yeah, you know, this may not be true about punditry at all, is 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 the regurgitating of um, press release information and the, oh, kind of the surface level analysis because that was what that was, and it just felt that you know you've got people out there writing and thinking, and why aren't they? Why aren't you focusing on what they're saying? Because they're saying things in a much more interesting way. Anyway, mm. the avant-garde. Yeah. On your train. Yeah, I mean, it's... Our train. I mean, uh, we're in a situation now where anybody who wants to use web technology for something other than making a service or making an ad-supported media thing mm -hmm. has, by definition, become avant-garde. They've, by definition, yeah. just been defined out of the scope of the mainstream yeah. um, or they've been defined as being a part of fan media which is sort yeah. of um, the other side of it and it's sort of uh, and uh, sort of which is the reason why uh, why I'm, I'm one, of the, uh, one of those people I think fan media is the the clearest example of a, nat a native networked uh, media that we have at the moment it's plural it's diverse it's uh, interconnected. It's dynamic. It's empathetic because it tends to fill in the hum uh, the sort of gaps of humanity yeah. between uh, between works, um, and it uh, it's sort of uh, it's co uh, commenting and and yeah. that's been so you basically end up being shifted out into the you know, fan media and its adjacent works, you know, which is basically what, what has happened to most of of Tumblr and Wattpad and yeah. and those, mm -hmm. or you're ending up in this. In this experimental zone, where you're sitting in the next uh, next room to a door to Brett Victor, who's you know probably ten times smarter than uh, other, other than I am, and doing way way more sm uh, smarter mm. things than I, I could ever think uh, think about, and go like, oh my god, I'm so way outclassed. This isn't even funny. Um, but it's sort of and it's it, it, you face the decision of of what do I do? Do I turn back? Do I head towards where the mainstream is now and mm. just like 
limit what I do to fit within the confines of the of 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 ebooks and what's you know, or, or and uh, web services and and web media or you know do I you know, venture forward into the domain of of zero cash and zero income and uh, <laughs> and sort of um, um, you know exp- uh, throw myself at the mercy of um, you know whatever. But, okay. Random de- deity might exist, uh, <laughs> might or might not exist. With my luck, it'd probably be Cthulhu. Well, possibly. The other thing I can say to that is, welcome to life as an artist. <laughs> and I'm not being. This isn't the artist starting in a garret. This is this is kind of. I think if you're, I work with artists all the time. I work with artists at the, in their degrees. I work with them professionally. And I think one of the things that defines the artists that I like and I'm interested in, and that have something to say, and they can be. 22 23 they can be 45 they can be in their 70s i don't care is that they are more interested in the work than they are interested in the mainstream yeah they're interested in something pure something honest something interesting something that they something that actually when they chose this career or it chose them whether you want to kind of get into that kind of notion of it that there was something that was going to drive them forward and that Yes, they're going to take other jobs. So things will fill in. Families will fill in. The whole set of things around that. They will carry on doing the stuff. Mm. Um, we, I'd met a stained glass artist called Tom Denny a week and a half ago who came in to do a talk for our students who <clears throat> is probably one of, if not the most interesting stained glass artist working in the UK today. He's astonishing. You know, this is, I mean, contemporary stained glass, so the market is fairly kind of contained. It's cathedrals, <laughs> it's churches, it's occasionally stained glass in more public venues or more kind of commercial venues, but generally the work he does is for um, what you see as kind of the, the religious sector. Yeah. If such a thing exists. <laughs> um, and what he does is a properly painterly approach, and he's developed techniques for layering glass, for thinking about painting into glass, for thinking about how colour works, and he has an absolute passion for this, and the man's in his must be... He looked good for his age, but I, I would suspect kind of you know, mid fifties, early sixties. Yeah, and he acknowledged that this does not, this barely makes him a living. This barely, you know, he does stuff that you, if you walk into any kind of cathedral in this country and big cathedral, small country churches, you will see examples of his work or work that looks like his work. The properly interesting end of that market, but he barely makes a living. Yeah, and this, yeah. and I think. I'm not sure Tom would put himself in the avant-garde, but I would absolutely put him in the avant-garde mm. of that particular practice because he's not interested in working for Cabot Circus, working for a shopping centre and doing stained glass for that. He's interested in the origins of the form, in what was really useful talking to him, in its narrative qualities, in how do you tell a story across yeah. sheets of glass that are seen in a particular place, in the interplay between light and the reader, in the play between how you have to make this work you know, you start at small scale, then you, you, you work at full size because there's no, you know, you, it's it's a weird kind of working absolutely, almost absolutely as the way it's going to be seen and completely not as the way it's going to be seen. Because he said one thing that happens to all his work when it gets put in is the light changes instantly. <laughs> because he hasn't been able to, yeah. you know, he, he, would need, he would need to close Wells Cathedral or Manchester yeah. Cathedral down for six months while he made the work if he really wanted to kind of control everything there. So the, there's, there's always an element of leaping in the dark. which yeah. And it just made me think of what you were just saying of, of kind of of being in the avant-garde or, be, or finding yourself in that position where you are so far away from the mainstream but you're still trying to make work you're still trying to make something yeah. interesting you're trying to carve a space out but not but a space that feels yours a space that is almost giving no quarter so it i mean the way what that we're using the term it's it's basically that you're you're focusing on creating work in an 
a, a territory that is much less defined. Yeah. And you are essentially defining it by yeah. exploring it through work. Yeah. And you know, it's less defined because <laughs> there are very few other people there. Like we said, it's a small train. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very small train. And this, I mean, obviously the avant-garde historically has a whole set of precedents and a set of things around them. And that and, and, and a precedent that, is, that tends to be unique in every single sector of art or media. Or whatever. Yes, completely. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much defined by that group of people who are defining a territory that doesn't exist yet. They're, I mean, trying, they're, they're, they're the avant-garde, they're the advanced mm, guard. You know. I mean, the, the, the issue here, which was sort of, if I were sort of imagining the a third person here who would be the the you know annoying devil's advocate which would be then he he would then raise raise the issue of of aren't we just assuming that um the whole app and ebook thing is you know is uh, more limited than it actually is uh, you know it couldn't isn't it uh, isn't the stuff that Publishers are already doing, which is like game game like, um, yeah, sort of, sort of book apps or you know proper games that just have a, have a story like Eighty Days, mm. um, and the whole like Potter uh, Harry Potter um, interactive um, ebooks thing, isn't that enough? I mean, I know my personal uh, a personal answer would be no. Well, they, they, would be... they tend to be incredibly boring. Well, it's it's no because they're also utterly safe, and I don't I don't think. I mean, let's not take anything away from Pottermore, which is obviously... Oh, I'll, I'll definitely take something away from it. It is just basically a bunch of bloody gifts and bro- drop caps. Okay, it's gifts and drop caps, but I think that... Okay, somebody told somebody who will remain anonymous, because I'm sure he doesn't listen to this, told me a story about Bloomsbury. Okay. Um, in that, and I'm never quite sure how true it is, because this, this person doesn't tend to embellish for his own sake, but <laughs> when he was shipping a children's book around and he's a reasonably well-known author and so people can work out who he is at some point shipping children's book around about 10 years ago 12 years ago and the publishers he went to all wanted him to be the next jk rowling they had this thing you know you're a name yeah. author you've, yeah. you've suddenly come to children's books we want you to be the next jk rowling and he went to bloomsbury because they didn't want the next jk rowling yeah, they already had it. They already had it, <laughs> and there was a kind of thing about okay, but that kind of and what that conversation unpicked was actually something about what happened to Bloomsbury. What happened to Bloomsbury in that in that moment that when they when they said yes to um, Rowling and said yes to Harry Potter, is they they went from a small, not a small publisher, but kind of you know a contained publisher into mm. this huge thing that then they now have shareholders, they have a return, they have a they become by default something that has to behave like one of the big five. Yeah. Whereas I'm not sure I mean I and again Didn't they end up bought? I somebody far smarter than us about this will tell us who owns Bloomsbury now and how that now works and that I'm completely wrong. But my understanding is that and my sympathy with kind of Pottermore in that regard is that you're carrying the weight of a brand on your shoulders. You're carrying yeah. this huge thing and therefore in a sense Pottermore cannot be that experimental it should be it absolutely mm. should be in the way that the bbc should be and the bbc which is the kind of false comparator in this scenario because the bbc for a long while was interesting to work with and to work for because of the way of the way they're funded and their remit and the way they approach digital and this is this is going back a decade or so and they started to do things and started to develop stuff mm. that you wouldn't find happen anywhere else i think they've lost that to a lesser or greater extent in the last few years but here i'm going to sort of say that if you can imagine a large sign neon sign that you know the same sort of sign that they have in studios that says applause yep except mm. this one says sarcasm i've just turned that sign on really and 
Okay. Mm. Yeah, because it's uh, it's it's not as if Harry Potter and Doctor Who have some sort of insanely large community of fan media <laughs> and uh, inter- <coughs> and uh, uh, and uh, trans media and cross media mm. enthusiastic uh, 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 group of people that they could tap into to build something completely new and unique. And that, it's not as if that uh, anything like that or resembling that exists in the world that they could build it's on. It's weird being on this train, isn't it? Because you, we yeah. looked at punditry and gone, I'm sure it's not like that really. And now we're looking at Doctor Who and Harry Potter going, <laughs> they're not like that's, that. That's... But no, you're right. A sarcasm that, light would be like, a, well, a, 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 you know, a good, a good investment. It's um, the classic on yeah. QI, and congratulations to Sandy Toxic. Yeah, um, <laughs> indeed. Um, which dates this podcast? But no, no, actually, you're absolutely right. And there, are, there are brands that, in terms of being that kind of brand, that the you're right. The flip side of you're responsible for this whole thing is that you do have an ardent dedicated <clears throat> interested fan base who will follow you and do stuff with but, it yeah they're, they're, and they're already making stuff it's sort of mm. it's not as if there is a, a they, they they have a huge you know literally labor force that will mm. uh, is interested in contributing things and it's just like um, you sometimes you just have to it's like um um the, uh, a game which is you know because I, 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 I'm always a few years behind on games. My, my games reference now is a, a, a Katamari uh, Dynasty, or uh, where okay. mm-hmm. now this huge sticky ball that rolls around the terrain and it just picks up more and more and more and more and more. It's a okay. PlayStation game. It was cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's sort of with Pottermore and Doctor Who is that you, you only really have to just throw out this small ball and it'll mm. it, people start sticking things to it yeah, and it'll true. start mm-hmm. rolling. It, you don't actually... A lot of these large-scale, um, big properties don't actually have to engage in big-budget productions to do something interesting because they have such a large network of things. And the same thing is which, that... Which comes yeah. back to Craig Mod's piece. Mm. And the, the thrust of post alpha Revolution was that you have a fan base and you build a fan base and you monetize, Or you don't monetize them, but you... You, <clears throat> you may monetize them, but you catch their enthusiasm and you do things with them because they want... In, in an age of social media, they want to feel they're part of something. Mm. They're part of responsing. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Well, and, and also, to be honest, they are already a part of something. It's just a matter of a question of whether you ignore them or not. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of most... Yeah, uh, it's just it's like the distinction between you mentioned Fahrenheit Press and the distinction mm. between how they do, uh, they do things and how most publishers do things. Yeah. Whatever else you're going to say about the, about the stuff he puts out, he at least is is deliberately on a daily basis enthusiastically engaging with this audience, and God, he, yeah. he knows exactly what sort of people he thinks yeah. of as his audience, knows what to say to, uh, say to them, what to play up and what to play yeah. down, and he he realizes that that is what. <laughs> the entire thing is built on it's the it's the audience and and making making sure that they're involved uh, and it most publishers don't do not do this they when you ask them they uh, they say oh yes we 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 totally do take the, uh, have the region in mind throughout the entire editing process as we are um, are getting our expert editors in mm. that uh, that print out the bloody manuscript and mark it up and then mm. mail it back in a huge box. Mm. Uh, you know that's literally. I, I, I know of at least mm. a couple of cases where people are still doing that, where they're still working, uh, sort of printing things out, marking it by hand, and then some poor bloody intern has to actually type in all the changes yeah. into Word. Mm. Um, and it's just no, you, you're, you're having an abstract user like a smiley face on a post-it that you've stuck mm. to the wall is not involving the reader. It's not uh, making them part of it. They, you, you, they, 
You can only make them part of it by talking to them, for Christ's mm. sake. It's just, you know, it's just, it's a dialogue. It's a community. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, community is what the web does. I mean, yeah. it's, a, it's the first mm. thing that happens when, when, or happened when people hooked up a few computers together is basically they started talking to them and, and forming communities. Hence bulletin boards, hence yeah, the start. Yeah, predates the web. Yeah. Predates, uh, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's literally the, uh, the first thing older than the web and it's, mm. it's uh, as soon as the web, a web came, that's what people started to do. And it, it's, it's, it's the first thing that you should be doing when you're, uh, where, if you're doing anything that even touches on the web, you should be thinking about what sort of people am I engaged with and talk to them. Hmm. <laughs> Don't ignore them. Do you engage them and talk to them. But yeah. anyway. Uh, <sighs> yes. Yeah, that's a that's a frustration, especially sort of um, uh, it's kind of uh, kind of apt that we're doing this in the week where um, Frankfurt Book Fair is because it just highlights the problem with uh, uh, that I have with publishing where the idea that you do that of not segregating the public on the separate mm. days so you don't actually have to see them or talk to them that is avant-garde in the publishing mm. sector the idea that you that the that the idea that it's very hard to distinguish between the audience and the creators which mm. is it's a very woolly the distinction is very woolly um in in uh, once you're once you're online uh, that idea is avant-garde in publishing. That, the the mm. idea that their idea is that you have your publishing people and they they promote the books to each other, be, uh, mainly not to sell the books, but mainly because the people involved in the book want to get hired at a bigger, larger, better publisher. So yeah. th- that's the reason why they promote their books to other people in publishing rather right. than mm. to um, uh, to the actual public. And the idea that you should mix these these things and match, uh, match them and start more actively engaging with people it is experimental mm. um, and it's 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 fun to see the pe- see the people who actually know how to do this well uh, uh, Chris at Fahrenheit Press mm. is one example yeah Sam Missingham um, and that but she uh, uh, Sam is probably what I'd consider the smartest hire uh, hire mm. for um, um, that big pub- uh, any big publisher has made in recent years because she really knows how to uh, how to do the whole community thing online. And she it's does, just amazing. She's no, she's astonishing, and 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 I mean this very generously, Sam. She doesn't shut up. <laughs> no, and I think that's no, it's good. But yeah, exactly. Because Sam will weigh in with an opinion. Sam, Sam's. Um, <clears throat> I mean, the one thing I like about Sam's web presence, Sam's Twitter presence, is the sense that you understand very quickly. You understand who she is. You understand mm. as much as her job, and since she, I think it's Macmillan, she's now as, as much as that has become certainly. Is it Harper Collins? I think you've worked. Uh, she'll, she'll tweet angrily. At, please tweet angrily at Sam yeah. because I'm no, sorry, well, well, you're, thought, you're but, far more interested in your job, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but you. I think the job colours what she says because there is there's a promotion, there's a kind of activity, mm. and that you're absolutely right. That's why they hired her. That's why kind of that thing exists. Well, the whole set of reasons she's good. But you get a sense of who she is. You get a sense of her relationship with her daughter. You get a sense of her relationship with Bath and the route and kind of her train journey and a whole set of things around her relationship in publishing. Yeah. Really, really quickly by not by not needing to follow. And I'm sure I don't follow anywhere near you know ten percent of people what Sam does, and I miss half the conversations. But I get that sense of it. Mm. And that—that's what I mean by her not shutting up. Is that you—you you get this kind of continual someone who lives digitally as much as they live in the real world, but knows how to separate the two, mm. but allows them a kind of conversation, allows them some sort of interplay, um, which is exactly what publishers should be doing. Mm. Mm. Well, it, uh, her point, and 
you know, there are a lot of people that are making this point at the moment, mm. um, and most of them tend to come come from small publishers. I think she's the high, probably the, high, uh, the highest profile person from within a large publisher to say this. Mm. And her point is that the the first priority of anybody selling and marketing books today is to promote book reading, now, uh, promote the form, yeah. promote the genre as a yeah. whole, rather than a specific title or specific publisher. And yeah. it, you, you know, if, uh, like in her case, you, you, to, to promote the sales of one romance book, you try and promote the entire genre. You build yeah. up the entire genre, you reach out to, uh, 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 to a broader group of people, same with mm. sci-fi and crime. And that's why her, her sort of, uh, so, uh, her marketing, like the, um, the festivals that she's mm. been uh, been doing ha- have worked so well, and that they they are up, uh, they realize that um, publishing is in books book reading is in secular decline, as mm-hmm. in, in the market for book reading, yep. um, and that's just speaking from the numbers. Just look at uh, all, uh, at best we're talking about stagnation, mm. um, but all, if you go back far enough, if you go back fifteen years, we're talking about a very steady mm. small but steady uh, steady decline year on year. With you know some spikes and reversions to uh, 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 sort of regressions to the mean, but she and other people, which are, seem to be in a very tiny minority mm. in publishing, realise that the only logical thing for publishing to do today to promote and increase their market is to increase the increase the readership, broaden readership, and reach yeah. reach uh, new readers. And you can't do that by doing what you've been doing for the past fifteen years. Uh, which is uh, when things are de- were declining. You can only do that by doing new things, by you know, broadening out, by engaging mm. with social media, by uh, using ebooks aggressively. Because e-bo- uh, one of the advantages of ebooks, even though we talk, I've talked a lot of mm. smack about ebook, the form and the limitations of ebooks as well. One thing that they have, which is brilliant, is the fact that they have this instantaneous worldwide um, reach yeah. distribution. Mm. It's just. They, yeah, it's sort of you, you. You think about somebody mentions a book. You, you, uh, it sounds interesting, and a few seconds later, later you can have it in your hands yeah. and re- reading it. And that is anybody who looks at that thinks that sh- that is key. That is key to getting new readers, to getting people who aren't reading to buy books and read them. Yeah. And you don't get those people by charging more for that than for um, uh, for print or even no. even uh, as soon as. It's like I'm a, I'm a digital guy. I'm a digital fanatic. Mm. I, I I love digital, but I'm not going to pay ten quid for an ebook. <laughs> sure. Mm. It's sort of if I'm going to pay ten quid for an ebook, it better be have exactly the same level of functionality as a regular mm. book, and they don't. Ebooks don't. They no. they, they have mm. less functionality. That's just. I mean, that wouldn't be a, uh, the, the ebooks are not having less functionality would not be a problem. It doesn't isn't a problem whether price lower because mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Works with Paperbacks is that paperbacks are less functional; they're less durable than uh, hardbacks, so the price lower. It's just mm, that's just yeah. Yeah. Mm, um, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pay. You know, if I'm gonna pay ten quid, I want want an, an actual thing that has pages and and I can hit people over the head with and mm. uh, or you know display in the shelf to to show how you know varied or interesting or eclectic or whatever my reading yeah. is. Uh, which is the reason why yesterday when I went to I went to London and looked through the bookstores there, I filled my backpack with books <laughs> and came back home absolutely bloody tired because I, I made the mistake of buying all the books you know just after lunchtime um, and then having to hang mm. hang around there all day to um, um, go to the. Uh, Ada Lovelace um, uh, day live thing, so you know 
I've basically been doing like the boot camp thing of carrying around, carrying around a backpack, full of, with a yeah, <coughs> yeah full of uh, a sack of rocks on my back all day. But it, I'm digressing. Yeah. But yeah, so um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I'm still debating really, sort of what, what, which direction to go to. I mean, it's uh, sort of part of the reason why um, it's sort of the, it's actually been sort of something I've been thinking about for the past entire year. Is that I'm just uh, thinking like we're in a, we're in a place where we're something that I'm specialised in ebooks is just very slow moving. Um, the web is diverging. You, it's mm. it's diverging. Uh, it's, it's splitting up basically. You're talking. It's uh, um, we're getting the uh, an app development web, yep. which is React mm. and the modular web and, and all that. Yep. Which is becoming an app platform, and on the other side, we're getting um, uh, the web of the instant articles of Facebook, of um, Apple News, and mm. of uh, Google's Ant Project, where they're simplified documents with uh, almost uh, with almost no, uh, no, uh, either none or almost no JavaScript or yeah. no coding. So it's diverging into a document for uh, format right. and, uh, and uh, app format. It's and a rich it, media format and app format. Yeah, well, it's it's and the thing is, it's not even yeah. rich media formats because it's like uh, pretty much the richest the richest thing you can do with a lot of the the like uh, instant articles and uh, and Apple News is basically embedded video, it's sort of, or or maybe a slideshow. It's sort of it's yeah. mm. in terms of richness, it's sort of uh, it's 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 you know. Uh, it's flat-packed interactivity. It's sort okay. of, um, yeah. mm. um, which is it, it's useful. It's useful when you're composing news stories and uh, mm. uh, and stuff like that. But it's limited, and the app uh, the app side of the web is really not conducive to storytelling unless you want to do really in, immersive and complex yeah. things mm. or want to start. Uh, yeah, so you you sort of you, I, I feel like I was in the position where. It for a while it looked like there were these three things that were going to converge: mm-hmm. ebooks. The document web and and yep. the and these sort of app uh, apps and services web that are going to converge and become part of this really interesting platform where everything's going to mix and match, uh, uh, be mixed and matched, and like this salad of mm. of ingredients that were were different and separate but still part of one thing. It, it looked like it was going to be really yep. interesting, mm. but now it's all like going into different directions. And I have to, you know, it's it's like walking somewhere and then standing and then watching the road turn into a crossroads around you and it's like I, I, now I'm just so I've been, it's one of the things I've been uh, thinking about for the last year uh, the last sort of 12 months is that I need to decide which one of these three things I'm going to walk down sure um, you know, I could try and you know do all things but that's yeah. obviously going to be less interesting because it, and also less just, sustainable because you, yeah. can't, you, you, you can't keep your energy something I find a lot you can't get your energy in three spaces at once you yeah and some of... because and, and you're, you're going to be competing for attention with people who aren't splitting yeah. your attention they're, yes. they're who are specialised in picked one. one thing for, for, yeah, for, for whatever effect that has on the ecosystem generally but they are they're focusing and their energy is going into that so it's sort of like um, um, you know wandering in the unknown and sort of tapping around with the staff on the ground it's like is it safe to go in that direction or is it safe to go in that direction or uh, yeah. so I, I, <clears> I don't know I, I haven't come to a conclusion so essentially what you, need, you, what you need is a bigger stick yeah, I do. You need a bigger, longer stick mm. to point with. With yeah, okay, poke yeah. around. <clears throat> poke around with, or two sticks. Yeah, sorry. Well, it's sort of the, this podcast and, <clears throat> and um, um, the not book. The, mm. This is not a book. Those yeah. are, are uh, have been my attempts at building a stick. Really, ah, that's uh, part of the reason why I've been doing that. That's I didn't nice... tell you. I, I don't, no, I told no, you that. but that's a nice way to describe it. Mm. Because it's... my, because in a way, my 
my reason for doing it was, was to put down in words what I've been saying for five, six, seven, eight years and yeah. try and make some sense of it. And actually make some sense for me as much as anybody else because I kind of, I'm happy. And this this is, just to get back to the topic of what we were talking about, this is why... <laughs> yeah. Before um, we digress too much. Well, yeah, we, we've digressed for 45 minutes. Um, but the notion of being avant-garde, I think one of the things that, and I just had this, I, I, both of us make notes just for the readers out there. We make notes during the podcast of things we're going to talk about later on. Or we make notes of interesting things. And I've got something written down that I want to come to in a minute. But one of the thing that, things I think that's essential in terms of being avant-garde, and this comes back to the idea of being an artist. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't mean to dress that up as some sort of capital A living in a garret suddenly, but just the idea that that's what your life is and that's what you're interested in yeah. is a, a preparedness to fail. Yeah, and, yeah. and not not to kind of lock into the oh you've got to fail fifteen times before you succeed and everything has to have and that notion that we talked we talked about last time with regard to <clears throat> it's very hard to lock employees away for six months and expect them to lose money that but the idea that what you're doing may be wrong or may not work but that by doing it you get somewhere you move the whole debate forward you move the alignment forward and can that I, yeah can I do a bit of semantic nitpicking you can um, please, please technically do. what you're describing there is mistakes not failure. Actually, yes. Okay. Um, and this is one of the things that I'm, yeah. I, 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 no, I, I'm the boring, boring person that whenever somebody say, uh, because this is this this the word or this usage of the word fail yeah. has been popularized, especially by the startup community. And I'm the which is why I pick it up from. Yeah, um, and yeah. I, I'm the really, really boring um, sort of pedant uh, pedant mm. that goes in the comments and says, "Well, technically, what you're describing is mm. is a, a willingness to make mistakes in what yeah. you do and not failure, because failure to, uh, failure implies a." A complete and utter um, collapse of things, of something not not working at all, and and yeah. and not getting anything useful out of it. Mistakes yeah. imply that you're doing something that was a mistake, but that you can learn from it. Hence the entire entire sayings about learning from your mistakes, etc., etc. Okay, and so that, but I I fully acknowledge that I am a pedant. No, no, no. And no, this is a pedantic. It's thing a to really pick. useful <laughs> distinction because one of the things that you did early on when we were writing this book was you wrote a piece that. <clears throat> that picked apart something that we both tended to rely on in the past. We relied on the Marshall McLuhan and buggy, yeah. buggy whip metaphor, which we've now kind of, <clears throat> I think, categorically moved away from. And that was actually. also very pedantic of me. But, but you would know, <laughs> but pedantic in use, because I think one of the, this is, okay, this is, when we're now getting back to the avant-garde, one of the, one of the problem, one of the interesting things about being, or thinking of yourself, or occupying that space where you didn't deliberately do it, but that you've got your train is shot on ahead mm. because the other train is sat down there, is that you start saying things and you start thinking about things, and <clears throat> even if you have a readership of three, that readership then has a readership of five that readership has a readership of 15 and the thing kind of cascades back and it wasn't us that started using McLuhan buggy whips but we did start using it at certain points and we started talking about it because McLuhan McLuhan star which sort of fell in the 90s to a certain extent kind of became came round again when sort of the dot-com boom bust happened and a whole set of things people started looking back at McLuhan and going actually he had a point Mm. and people like us have been going we had a point for a long time (laughs) listening Um, but what I think was useful about you picking it apart was recognizing that just because someone wrote it, for goodness sake, stop being lazy. Just really examine it and yeah. really think critically about it because it doesn't. It's a it's a quick way of interpreting it. And we do this in the first chapter where we we pick apart the. It's not. I think you wrote this bit where it's um, the adage that cinema was simply recorded theatre. Um, yeah. before things and I think that if you go to the site and, all, and find uh, almost all the bits where somebody's being a pedant it's you uh, yeah. that's probably mm, me it's, it's probably a very you. good chance but it's a useful thing because I still use that because it's, mm. it's it's and I'm guilty of it's a lazy way of describing it but it's a way to get something across to somebody if you want to describe it's what a shorthand it's a shorthand but it, but it behoves us 
to at some point address it and to some point move beyond it and go, okay, but this is this, is this, is this. And this is why, because this particular rant began with the idea of failure and mistakes and what's one or what's the other. For me, so failure in terms of a startup may be um, people throwing millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars at a startup that is proclaiming that they can charge your phone with sound waves. <laughs> that's failure because it doesn't and work. And he's not making that example up. No, I'm not. And that's been <laughs> bugging me. And it's one of those things going to need, I always going to get it out there because at some point, like an earworm, um, it'll go out of my head. It'll wander yeah. off my head and I won't think of it anymore. But it's been bugging me because that has had that, the physics say it can't be proved, can't mm. happen. Physics say that if you could do it, you would blow your ears off. Yeah. Well, it's sort of, to dogs if, not hearing it, we wouldn't have any, list, any hearing left if, in the if room. If you look at the physics, um, what it says is that you can't use it for anything resembling, even remotely resembling an, an iPhone, which is how they market it. Yeah. Mm. You could use it, in theory, for like uh, small things like um, Bluetooth beacons. Yeah. And stuff like that, yes. mm. um, but that's not what any of the marketing is saying. That's and, not what any of the and that's, and that's not where the money's coming from. No, because exactly. the money wants it to charge iPhones. It wants yeah. it, the, the, the killer add-on device that suddenly monetizes into a market worth billions. That's why they're throwing <laughs> money at it. But they're, they're not interested in Bluetooth beacons, which will be an interesting market, but ain't yeah. going to be. Yeah, oh, it's not going to be like worldwide iPhone sized. No, no, God no. Yes, you won't. Anyway, so mistakes, not failure. Um, mm. So the avant-garde is. One of the things that's interesting about the avant-garde, which is the reason that I was happy to kind of get to the point where we wrote this damn thing, was let's be let's be mistaken in public. Yeah. Let's be mistaken in print and have and if people disagree with us, great. Then that I'd rather have that happen than chunter on a Sunday morning because I read something in the Sunday papers that I violently disagree with. <laughs> but I don't feel that just chuntering or having 140 characters on Twitter is a way to respond because my way yeah. to respond to that because I'm a, not quite as pedantic as you are, but I do I do think in long words and I kind of is to write the book that rebuts it yeah well, or to have written the book that rebuts the, it. The, 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 there's also the thing where you want to have if you say what you think and why you think it and why you think you're right and yeah. it turns out that you're wrong yeah then because you've explained it and and outlined it you can go through what you've written and said ah okay that's the bit that i was wrong about and then you have very something very specific and which very is, learnable which is something that you've talked about before we started this virtual controlling software if you if you're rigorous enough about what you do and if you if you document and actually you do things deliberately and mm. you do things with some kind of thought behind them that you know we did this because of this we did that because of that with this because we're trying to reach this when you when you look at the success of or mistakes or failure or whatever else otherwise at the end of a thing then what you get to is the idea that we understand where it went wrong we understand what the point was that that was a decision fork it was a moment where we had a choice and we made that choice for really good reasons because mm. we're not idiots <laughs> we hope yeah and it's all but, mm. you can't account for everything no. and because you know you can't account for everything you document what you have accounted for yes um mm. so and it's it, because then, then when things go wrong, then it's enlightening because then you discover the layers that you didn't account for mm. and which then you can integrate and, and fit into your thinking mm. for the future. So it's better to be on record and wrong yeah. um, than to you know sit back and then just watch everybody say really stupid things. Yeah, and get angry and angry and angry without having said anything. Can I be, can I be optimistic about the avant-garde, though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go, go ahead. I've, I've been thinking about this since you started your train metaphor. Um, you know, a little ten percent of my brain is my accidental there, train metaphor, which is great. It's lovely. <laughs> I like, like your train metaphor, and and I'm I'm definitely installing a buffet car. Anyway, you know, those little bottles of wine, which are nice on trains, because there's something about altitude. Anyway, um, I think one of the things that one of the things I wrote down while we were talking was is, and we can't do this. Is there a way to get the big train started again? 
And that's yeah. a bigger question. That's, and then, and in a that's way, one I've been thinking about for the past year as well. Yeah. What what needs to happen to, to put coal in the boiler to whatever metaphor we kind of extend this into and to get the damn thing moving again? Um, but I thought one of the things that's actually that we do, that the avant-garde does, that does is useful, and I wrote it down in a negative way and then I kind of revised my thought, is that if you're sat on that train, you need the avant-garde, you need the people out in front, you need the people mm. who are... You need the pioneers that get eaten by bears. Yeah, get eaten by bears. And the thing I wrote down is that, in a negative way, before we started talking about it, is that the mainstream wants avant-garde because it needs avant-garde to fail. Yeah. It, but actually, it needs us to make mistakes. It needs us to fall over flat because it, by the time it gets that train moving, or the train may be moving just invisibly slowly and we can't see it. Yeah. Um, and we're moving so far ahead, or we're moving at a pace that means that we don't look at that moving because the, the mainstream is definitely moving, just not very fast. Um, that if it pay, if it pays, and this comes back to punditry, if it pays attention, if it really thinks, if there's, a, there's an element of rigor about that, then. Every time we fall flat on our faces, every time anybody doing this kind of work falls flat on their faces, then what the mainstream could do is learn from it. Yeah. But the mainstream has to engage with it. it well, can't... it has to engage with it, honestly, because at the yeah. moment, every time uh, anything experimental fails, you, they use it out for propaganda to yeah. try and say, ah, yes, print was right all along. We never should have veered away from print because print is safe and nice and cozy. 90% of the articles published by the bookseller. No, honestly... Well, it's sort of, yeah, at least. I mean... and. You know, I regard well, the bookseller with an equal bit of admiration. They have their constituency. They do, but the, yeah, that irritates me. See if everything that the um, the Observer managed to do in James Bride and Anna Baddeley's articles yeah. over three years of reducing the entire debate around what they call the new reading down to print versus e. Yeah. That you had James Bridle every two weeks trying to get something interesting in, but ending up being kind of seemingly shoehorned <laughs> back in by an editorial policy, by a line, by yeah. whatever else, into... And Anna Baddeley's final column that said, you know, we've, we've taken three years, and it was, it was this horrible, horribly self-aggrandizing thing. I mean, we've mentioned this before, and I've never met Anna, and I'm sure she's lovely. But the basically said, this debate has been going on, we've been covering it for three years, and now the debate is over. Yeah. And I kind of felt, well, yeah, but that wasn't actually a debate in the first place no. that anybody, just, anybody was remotely just, interested in. Sort of re- just repeating a slogan over and over. Over again, and finding ways to get it into every fortnightly column. And it just felt that... What's not happening is a real engagement with the outliers, an engagement mm. with the people out there, an engagement and a kind of and ch- the moments I see um, people working with digital literature or working with digital products being championed are when they do really, really well. Yeah. And so, quite rightly, Meg Giant, um, the guys at Inkle, championed for the last year or so. Stuart Dredge mentions him in the Guardian every so often. The Roundup is in there. His best ten interactive book apps because eighty days is fantastic. Yeah, it's not the future. It's a future. Mm. It's an, it's a very really interesting, well conceived, well done thing. Well, it's like oh, what what we talked about before is that the the one of the things that's interesting about um, di- anything storytelling and digital is is how pluralistic it is. Yeah, in that it's we have game storytelling, we have fan media, we mm. have uh, people doing you know weird um almost lyrical storytelling on twitter we have all of these various mm. experiments go- going on and they don't have to be a part of one thing they, no. there can be many different things taking place at the same time and many it, can, it because it's a, it's a large form it's it's yeah. it's like print it's large and it can contain a variety of storytelling yeah completely and my my, my kind of rebuttal very gently to the mainstream to not the mainstream just not the mainstream media that just drops me into a whole bucket of crap <laughs> that I don't have anywhere near. But the, where were you when Inkle was doing Frankenstein? Where were you when Inkle yeah. was starting up? Where were you when 
John and Joe were were not were, were that Inkle was a kind of a, a, a moat in their eye, a kind of glint in the notion of what they might be, because that's when they need support. That's when yeah. this thing becomes it, because there was always something rich and something interesting about what Inkle were doing. Um, and even someone who is avowedly not a choose your own adventure fan likes what they do. I do yeah. like I like the engine they built. There is much more smarts about that than simply a hypertext walking past structure. Mm. It's cleverly thought through. No matter whether you like what they do, whether you like kind of um, content wise everything they do or not, but it's it's like that's where I want to see. I mean, the the, it's the, the anal- analogy I'd uh, I'd use is that it's it's you don't have to be a a, a fan of romance or sci-fi mm. to recognise good work uh, that yeah. that each genre does mm. really good work, and uh, so the same thing. You don't have to be a fan of choose your own adventure to see that what they're doing is really good, for, uh, 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 good for that specific genre. Yeah, and it's good for the medium generally because it mm. moves us forward. It gets it gets product out there, and it, it moves into interesting places. And and it kind of I don't, I don't know where the I'm not, I'm not pre- I wasn't really any of the conversations. I didn't know the people very well, but Profile published them. Profile published yeah. Frankenstein published. And it's like, well, profile is kind of small, mm. and it was it's Mike Bashkar who essentially put that out. But wasn't profile bought by Hachette, uh, um, no. or was that somebody no, else? Profile still independent, as far as I know. Profile oh still, yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> somebody, it was somebody else who got um, that. But he uh, doesn't work there anymore. No, he doesn't. No, Mike, Mike's at uh, Canalab. Um But it's that it took a really small publisher to take a punt on that mm. to put something out there. That the the big five were. This is something that comes up again and again and again in these series of podcasts. The big five, I still think, are incredibly conservative, incredibly not interested in moving yeah. forward. And and actually, this is about restarting the train. There well, is, I, I have an opinion on that. Go on. <clears throat> well, the publishing industry has put itself in a very precarious position mm-hmm. where they, whether it's intentional or not, but ebooks have stalled at. I don't know what's it uh, somewhere between ten and twenty five percent of the yeah. of the um, of the trade trade yeah. publishing market. We're, ju- we're just talking about trade publishing now. We're not talking about the larger publishing market, which sure. has a t- is an entirely different topic. Uh, but uh, sort of uh, t- t- between ten and twenty five percent of the trade publishing mm-hmm. market. Amazon has basically given up on trying to broaden that. They've just des- they're growing the Kindle by broadening yeah. self publishing and uh, and Kindle Select. They're focusing on web services because that's where the absolute shitloads of money is going to be. Yeah. Uh, and they're uh, they're retailer, and if they and the problem the problem that publishers have put uh, have put themselves in is that no tech company can go for the remaining seventy five percent of trade mm. publishing without burning them to the ground. Yeah, and Amazon's not going to do that because that would burn their uh, their uh, trade publishing. Uh, they own a large part of trade publishing. Any any yeah. change there is just going to harm them. But Amazon, uh, but uh, the big publishers have put themselves in a position where any tech company that wants to enter that uh, they enter that area, they've watched Oyster go down, they've watched yeah. Readmill go down, they've watched watched Kobo stall, they've watched Google Play uh, a Playbook stall, they've watched iBook stall, and the only, they uh, you look at that, and if you look at it impartially as somebody who is inter- uh, interested in uh, in sort of building stuff for that area, mm-hmm. the only way for uh, interactive media or technology to get a larger share of that market is to literally set out to destroy big publishers yeah. and do so brutally and ruthlessly and with the aim of absolutely cutting them apart as quickly as possible with as much damage as they can mm. do. And the this the absolute tragedy here is the fact that, that there's so many publishers that think that tech companies are doing this already, but they've gone out of their way to work with publishers. Yeah. Look at what I, uh, iBooks, which is basically a partnership with publishers. Look at Google Playbooks, which 
it's almost impossible to put your self-published stuff mm. on there. You have to be a, be a part of large publishing to really, really engage with that platform. Kobo as well, if you're a self-publisher, you're a second-class citizen. All of these tech companies have gone out of the way to work with mm. pub, uh, big publishers, but publishing has just, whether it's intentional or not, there's been just nothing but inertia. Mm. And now we're in a situation where if anybody decides to put some money into getting a part of that market, they will have to put together a deliberate strategy of burning the existing entrance to the ground. Mm. And it's if that ever happens. It doesn't have to happen because there's an opportunity cost. There's yeah. a, sort of if you're an investor and you have a few million to invest, you're probably going to get a higher return in somewhere else than there. But once you... once the trade publishing uh, once some some investor or startup gets the, into their head that with enough funding trade publishing is up for grabs yeah. there is going to be carnage and that's the only way I can see the train getting restarted on on form on basically the uh, of, uh, the experimenters with with ebooks as a form okay mm-hmm. um, and it's by basically clearing the jungle with the napalm and obviously I don't want that to happen. No, I, you know, people might think people think I want it, want it to happen, but because uh, but I don't want that to happen. I, I actually quite like a lot of the people that work in publishing, but they've put the they've rest. Of, yeah, the, the, their market has been has manoeuvred itself into a position where yeah, but yeah. that's the mm. only way. So it, we're facing either uh, we're facing either stagnation, yeah, or somebody coming in and basically oh. sort of doing to the Vietnamese jungle what the Americans did with uh, Agent Orange and Napalm. Yeah, mm. um, and it's sort of like yeah, we, we don't want that, but it's I don't know. And if it happens, it does. It might not happen next year or even the year after mm. that. But you know, in the next ten years, I wouldn't be surprised if some if the if we had well-funded entrance into the market that deliberately eschewed uh, collaboration with big publishers and instead completely went after more modular publishers, which is mm. basically small, independent self-publishers. Um, even like magazines, because yep. it's sort of. Uh, but I don't know. It's I, I I can't see a way out of this for for trade publishing that all of all of the uh, all of the paths I see forward for them are very much not pretty. Um, it's uh, you know it's either stagnation or decline or mm. destruction, and it's like they they have deliberately avoided. Uh, sort of carving out a path forward for themselves. They, they've mm. always been looking back, looking at print, and uh, just, uh, and looked at how can we preserve what exists rather than trying to uh, trying to uh, sort of uh, march forward. And it's just yeah. you can't stay in the same place for uh, 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 that long um, without something happening. It's just you have to you have to move. You have to go forward. Yeah, and you can't rely. And we should finish this in a moment. You can't rely on the all tanker metaphor. As an excuse, yeah. which I think, right. I think, <clears throat> I think publishing uses far too often. I think universities where I tend to work use it far too easily as a kind of. Oh, we we move really slowly because we're a big institution. <laughs> and the answer is no. You really don't have to do that. That's because oil tankers turn around eventually. The oil tankers do turn. They, around, they, they aren't static. But they, you, but they, you're they behaving have, like an oil platform, not an yeah, oil you, yeah, yeah. You're behaving like an oil platform, like an oil. Yeah, there is a desi- oil tankers turn around because there is a desire to turn around and a plan to turn the damn thing yeah. around. You don't. Yeah, you and because they while, do so slow, uh, slowly, they start. Very early, start very early and respond. And sort of, but anyway, so uh, but uh, a caveat here is that I am a noted pessimist. Yes, um, I, I'm not re- not sort of generally recognised as 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 the person who expects good things to happen. 
I'm Icelandic. I live in. Yeah. I, I, I was raised in a country that sort of is expecting a a a world class earthquake on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, and B, um, large volcanic eruptions on a regular basis. Nature is out to kill you out there. Yeah. You basically have to expect and plan for the worst there if you if you want to survive your summer vacation, okay. which is a warning to tourists. Stop bloody dying. Because you keep coming to Iceland and you keep doing stupid things like going out in a storm in a t-shirt in, in the middle of the wilderness without any way of contacting you and then your corpse floats around several seasons later. It's just stop doing that. It's stupid. Okay, enough. Right, thank you. If you listened this far, that was Balderby Arson ranting about the Icelandic tourism industry and clearly the fact that he's a canary in the mine. Okay, um, we are going to touch on the avant-garde again in future, but for the moment, thank you. Mm-hmm. In, yeah, indeed.